Welcome to episode six of Boxing Royalty. I'm your host, Ilmar Ahmed, and I'm joined by Oscar Bevis, as always. Firstly, got to say apologies for last week. We didn't do an episode. As I think you're all aware, there were two pay-per-views that week, and I was so busy um, covering a bit of Frampton Warrington and the whole of White Chisora too, so I just did not have any time. The only time really I did have was on fight day itself during the day but there's no point really doing a doing a podcast previewing fights on a Saturday and you're only releasing it on the same day so we didn't bother um, with that so today we'll just be reviewing both cards there's obviously nothing to preview and um, we will be doing an extra show this week uh, just sort of capping off uh, the year fight of the year, fire of the year, etc. Stuff like that. And looking forward to 2019, we'll be doing that this week, uh, just before New Year's Eve. So the 30th, I think we're planning to do it. So make sure you tune into that. But yeah, as I said, just for this week, it will be Frampton, well, I should say Warrington Frampton and White Gisora too. So let's begin with London. We'll start the 0-2. White Gisora 2, same winner. In Dillian White, different outcome in terms of it was obviously a knockout this time, a brutal knockout as well. Firstly, Oscar, how did you see it in terms of the scorecards just before the knockout? Did you have White up or Chisora? Well, I had White by a couple of rounds because I was I was shocked at the scorecards. It was it's the old the old age argument, and it White was um, Chisora was bringing the fight, and I thought White was doing the better boxing, picking his punches better. So I personally would have gone for White, but I can see a case as to why Derek would have been like in the fight and perhaps up on the scorecards if it weren't for the two points deducted. But with the deducted points, I'm really not sure how uh, I could find a way for him to be up. But look, the, it's one of them is, I was thinking to myself, if this goes all the way, this is going to be a tough one to judge. You can just tell because there's a lot of work that you can't see. It's quite scrappy. You know, they're, they're quite close up, so... It's harder to see. It looked like White was getting the cleaner punches, the better work, but Chisora was bringing the fight. So, yeah, I, I would have gone White. So, and hearing that, I mean, he's going to be buzzing. He went for the knockout because I think there was a bit of him that perhaps thought he was up on the scorecards. It sounded like his corner was quite confident if you could hear what was going on in the corner. And I think perhaps he might have just looked to not see out the last two rounds because. Derek was never going to let him see the rounds out easily. You know, he was going to bring... Yeah, I think he... Looking to sort of not ease off, but just do what he had to do to get through the last two rounds. So he'd have been quite relieved when when he knocked him out after finding out that, yeah, he was down on the scorecards, which was a surprise to me. Yeah, I was surprised also. I think I, I would have had Chisora ahead if it wasn't for the two points taken off. It was very close, a bit similar to the first fight. White started really well, though, round one. Um, and he was doing really well with the right hand uh, early on in the fight. Didn't really look to throw the left hook, which is his trademark shot. But I think, as we saw with the knockout, he was sort of keeping that in the bank uh, for late on when Chisora tied. And, uh, yeah, Chisora tiring towards, I think, from basically round nine onwards. Um, I haven't watched it back on TV. I've only watched it live there. So, obviously, 
watching it back on telly, my views on the fight could change because it always seems to when I watch it live compared to on the telly. But from what I saw live, that the arena, Chisora did seem to tire uh, the latter stages. I was surprised he came in so light as well. Um, this whole Wall Chisora thing, I have to say, he looked great, in great shape at the weigh but I just thought he'd come in a bit heavier like he normally does because coming light at your punch resistance is, is gonna is gonna is gonna go down and I did have White stopping him late and that's exactly what happened. I had it for that reason just simply because he came in lighter. Um yeah I I thought he should have come in heavier and, and do what he normally tends to do which is rough you up. because um, he started off trying to box. I think it was only for one round but and then you could clearly see from round two onwards it, he went back to the old Chisora. But with that body weight that he came in, it didn't suit sort of the Chisora we we know. Like he should, for me, he should, as I said, he should have come in heavier and do what he normally does. Because I thought he hurt Dylan White in the first fight more. To be honest, I thought he got to him more. Uh, if you watch the first fight back, um, do you agree with that, or do you think? I mean, he did perform well. I'm not like he he, he, he it was still a brilliant fight to watch and. And um, he got to White a lot, but I just thought he hurt White more in the first fight. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think he hurt White more in the first fight. There were times, if you watch the first fight back, which I'm sure loads of us have many times, there are times in that first fight where I didn't, I didn't think White was going to go, but you, you have one of them where you think he could finish him here. You, there was a lot of them moments for both of them, actually. I don't think up until the knockout uh, white hurt Chisora as much either which I thought was strange because of what you were saying about the punch resistance um, it wasn't as brutal of a fight so perhaps that's why I think as much as you know Derek is fearless and will go in for anything fight anyone you know and he always goes in sort of gung-ho he was perhaps a bit more fearful of doing that this time I think and that's why it come across that he wasn't roughing him up as well. But yeah, I think the first fight was more brutal and White hurt him more. But I've got to say, in terms of White, you know, he's a big unit, White. He's one of them heavyweights who's not built with that Joshua muscly mould. He's more of like a, just like a bigger heavyweight. So I was going to call, I wouldn't have called him fat then, but I don't use that word. But I think people know what I mean. He's more of that fury build where he's not, hasn't got the, the big muscle. He doesn't look like that. So when you see him in the later rounds throw these big punches, and sometimes he throws like the lefts and rights and he throws them so hard that he takes himself off balance. You think that's got to be taken out of him quite a lot. But he never really seems to tire that much, which is, which is really impressive for someone his side and of it, size and of his build. But in terms of them hurting each other, I would have to agree that you know, Chisora didn't hurt White nowhere near as much as the first fight. And I don't think White hurt Chisora as much uh, either until, of course, the knockout. Yeah, I, I agree. White didn't hurt him as much as well compared to the first fight, but I, I just don't think White was loading up on his shots as much as he was in the first fight. I think he was boxing a bit more clever this time, a bit more cute. Um, so I wasn't surprised at that. But Chisora was doing what he was doing in the first fight and didn't get him, didn't get to White as much. And I can only put that down really to the weight he came in at and. And his physique, although it did look brilliant, I don't think it suits 
the way Derek fights. So it'll be interesting to see if he does carry on, which David A and, and Derek both said uh, they plan to. That what he does in terms of the weight he comes in in the future, whether he goes back to the old weight that he used to fight out, he comes in in this trim condition because yeah, I I don't see the benefits in terms of the power he gets from his shots and his punch resistance has, has gone down clearly. And he's still, t- he's still tired towards the end, so I don't really see the benefit it's adding. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who he fights as well next year. I think just still- quickly. Yeah, go on. Sorry, mate. Um, I was just going to say, when it comes to, obviously, if we're talking about the first fight, because obviously it's two years on, we could say in that time, although Derek's got the best win of his career against Takam, you could, uh, in that time, it's clear that White's improved as a boxer and as a fighter. Whereas, like you said, it, it was almost like it was the, uh, the same Derek Chisora. Apart from the weight issues, the, the style of fight and the, the, just the manner of how he was fighting was the same Chisora. Whereas White has improved massively. Though, I'd say they both improved, but White's improved on a bigger scale. Dylan White's definitely improved. Um, obviously, Hellenius, Lucas Brown and Joseph Parker. Could all, you could say they're all world-class wins, even though Hilary's performance wasn't great from Dylan White. Lucas Brown could be argued his shot. And um, Joseph Parker nearly had him out in the 12th. You could all, you know, if you just look at it on paper, they're all world-class wins. So the fact Dylan's come, come through all them, yeah, he's definitely improved. And I definitely saw improvements in this Chisora fight as well. Chizora, even though he, he had his best win on paper just last time out against Takam, again, if you watch the fight, he was getting battered and then just pulled out an unbelievable punch, which is, which you know, all credit goes to him for that. But again, watching it, watching the actual fight, it wasn't, it wasn't a very good performance. He just was very tough, soaked up all the punishment he could. And uh, pulled out a ridiculously good shot. Uh, so, I don't know where Derek really goes from. I mean, I tweeted yesterday that Huey Fury should go for Derek. One, it's a big money fight. And I just think, when it comes to someone who's taller than Derek Chisora, moves well, has a good jab, it's completely the wrong style for Derek. Um, I wouldn't say Huey's the favourite guy in the fight. I think Derek would be, but... I think he's completely the wrong style uh, for Derek Chisora. That's uh, Huey Fury is. There's obviously the Joe Joyce fight as well. I don't know what's happening between Joe Joyce and Lewis Ortiz. You've got Big Baby Miller v Chisora, which would be a brutal fight. That would be a great fight to watch. So th- there is still definitely fights out there for Derek Chisora. But, you know, if you're looking at the likes of Povetkin, Ortiz... And obviously the top three heavyweights in the world. Uh, I don't think he can be considered in that bracket anymore. No, I think when you're talking about the Huey Fury fight, I mean, I know we've just seen Fury lose quite convincingly to Pulev, but it's almost the same when you uh, saw Chisora fight Pulev a few years back when someone has that jab and boxing ability and Chisora can't rough them, sort of rough and tough rough him up, uh, tough his way through the fight, almost old man, and what people say the term is, 
when he can't do that to a fighter, he does struggle. So Fury will, Huey Fury will see that and think, and I'm sure other heavyweights will think Chisora was a name in the UK. Big, big fan base. People love Chisora. I mean, it looked like he had more support than White on the night. So, you know, people he love did Chisora. by far. Yeah. Yeah. So people love Chisora and he is a name. So I think there'll be many heavyweights, not just Huey Fury, Huey Fury looking at that guy. And that's my sort of opportunity to get a massive win on paper. Because he's still someone who, although he's lost, what, nine times now, he is someone who, especially in the last stages of his career, has become like, convincingly quite hard to beat. I think I count the Monaco loss uh, to Caballero for the year. I count that as a write-off. Um, but apart from that, he's someone who's really, really hard to beat. So I think on paper, that's a massive win. So there'll be loads of heavyweights looking at that. And people are talking about, you said, uh, Jarrah Miller. People are talking about him and Joshua, and that could be Joshua's fight in America and this and that. If there was to be a fight over here, and it was Joshua Miller, although it wouldn't work out with the time frame of April now, you know, for him to fight Chisora first and beat Chisora, that would be something that would build him and be a good win on paper as well for Miller. And would be a cracking fight, I think, because uh, Miller seems like he's also got that little switch that Chisora's got where you know, he sort of can switch go and can start swinging. So that would be an interesting fight. Um, so yeah, there's going to be heavyweights looking at Chisora, but yeah, the, that was a good shout from you, the Huey Fury looking for that fight, 100%. Yeah, I think it makes sense for Huey. Just on Chisora Miller, it's interesting because the zone have pumped and invested so much money in Miller. If he was to go and then lose to, say, a Chisora or a Dylan White, that product is then finished. I, I have a feeling big baby Miller isn't going to fight anyone of note until he gets the Joshua fight. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Sky have been, you see Sky have been pumping him up and people are clicking onto it as well. People are noticing, look, you're pumping up Miller so much. Are we noticing, you know, are we basically seeing uh, the early promotion for April the 13th? Just people are clicking onto that so much. So, yeah, that's a good point. Because um, I feel like if he lost to Chisora, I feel like people would just write Miller off straight away. I feel like that would always... You'd have to, surely. There You'd have be, to. He... Yeah, there wouldn't be a way back for the Joshua fight. There couldn't be. No, definitely not. If you go and... This is with all the respect to Chisora. If you go and lose to Chisora at this stage, you're not getting a crack at Joshua. The demand would just be so low. So, But then you, we say in this, and I know on paper it's completely different, but why it was what four minutes away from losing the Joshua fight in that situation, possibly losing the Joshua fight then. So it is a tough one. But yeah, if Miller lost to Chisora, then that would be it. Okay, moving on to Dylan White. Um, I've seen somewhere today, Povetkin wants to fight him. Now that'd be a cracking fight. But for me personally, I don't think Dylan White should take any more sort of risks he's taken the Parker fight he's taken the Chisora fight again which would you know nothing on the line in terms of a title or a ranking point of view and and, and they're not the, the biggest money fights either he could have just waited around for the Joshua fight or or Wilder I suppose um, but he's kept really active but now I think Dylan White has got to surely realise he's just got to wait um, and not 
sort of take anyone take any more unnecessary risks because I think Povetkin is a huge risk, and um, as much of a good fight it would be, and I'd like to see it. I think Dylan White should just wait for April 13 because it looks like Wilder Fury is going to happen. So and the, ne- the next man in line's got to be Dylan White. Um, do you sort of think Dylan White Joshua will happen on April 13? What's your gut instinct on that? Yeah, my gut instinct is uh, Joshua White all the way up. I thought that after, you know, from the final bell and when they were reading out the scorecard to Wilder Fury, it was quite clear that, you know, the build-up to the fight, them to his characters, it was, I thought, unless it was a devastating Wilder win, I thought it was quite clear that even if Wilder had won, you know, Fury never got up in the top, that there'd be a rematch because of how it was widely accepted that Fury won the fight or was winning on the scorecards anyway, even if he would have stayed down for the top. So I thought, you know, almost straight away that that's going to happen again. So I've always been thinking White, but you say about White taking unnecessary risks, and I think Povetkin would be the biggest risk that he's taken, because although Parker nearly took him out, the Parker from the Joshua fight, you know, I personally thought White would, because he's more sort of relentless than Joshua, I thought White would take Parker out fairly easily. I, I, I believe that. But yeah, I'm going to say it's Joshua White, and if you're White and your promoter's Eddie Hearn, and he's Joshua's promoter in this whole Wembley uh, big British fight build up and White doesn't land it and it does end up with Gerald Miller or Wild. Uh, if I was White, I'd be disappointed and I'd be saying, look, this is such an easy fight to make. You know we're both going to say yes. You know it will do big numbers on pay-per-view. It's the biggest fight in Britain outside of Joshua Fury is Joshua White. So, you know, if I was White, I'd say, look, if you're serious about this, then it's got to be me and Joshua in April. There's no other way. Yeah, I mean, he's been linked with a uh, Dominic Brazil fight as well. But, uh, yeah, as you say, Dylan White has just got to go for that Joshua rematch now. Um, he's he's 100% deserved it. But I guess the only curveball for him could be that Wilder actually does end up fighting Joshua April 13th. And I, this, for me, might still happen because... Say Wilder goes and loses to Fury in that rematch which is probably the most likely outcome based in what happened uh, in the first fight and the fact that Fury is only going to improve. And Wilder isn't really, you know, he's been he's been active anyways. Um, there's not much Wilder can do different in the rematch, but Fury can, can definitely improve. He's just had 12 really good rounds. And I, I believe in a rematch, Fury wouldn't even go down. I think he'd, he'd win again on points and, and, and not take... And not go down, but anyways, that's just that's a different matter. If I was managing Wilder, I would I would hundred percent go for that Joshua fight, April thirteenth, because one, that's Joshua and Hearn's number one target, so they sort of need you in a way. Two, if you go and take the Fury rematch and lose, you've then lost your WBC belt. <coughs> you then obviously got less value one going into the Joshua fight without a belt and you've got a, a loss on your record and potentially thirdly that Joshua fight actually just evaporates and, and Joshua Fury is the only fight that, that sort of has any value so if I you're think as got, well so if so you're wild, just, you've got you've got to take that surely you would have to take that I was just about going to say that obviously you say about Wilder should take it and I agree I mean 
there's a lot of what people are saying about it's this side and this side. Look, we don't know who it is. And before they went public with the negotiations, which I thought was a bad idea anyway. But I think if you lose that WBC belt, I don't think Joshua Fury's hard to make. I honestly don't think. Forget BT, Sky, Frank Warren, Eddie Hearn. I don't think. I think two British fighters for all the belts. I think they both jump at that. You know, I can see at the moment why Fury would want Joshua and Joshua would perhaps see more value in Wilder. I get that. And I think, you know, as much as that's the biggest fight, Joshua Fury, I, I can see why you, know, you can't blame Joshua for wanting to get all the belts. But if he does lose that, you know, at the moment, there's still the will Joshua actually fight Fury, uh, will Joshua and Wilder actually fight? Whereas I think if Fury has WBC, there's no question. I think they're straight in and there, but they both want that because that is massive. That is, like, that is mega scale, bigger than Joshua Wilder. That is huge. Yeah, I think Joshua Fury. Would it surpass Mayweather Pacquiao? Maybe not. Uh, but definitely in Britain, it's the biggest ever. It's bigger than Eubank Ben. Um, it's bigger than Frotch Groves, without guys, without saying. So, yeah, Joshua Fury. I don't. I agree with you. It, it would be hard to make because it's two different promoters, two different TV networks, but. The fact that all the belts would be on the line is two is two British fighters. It, it it would have to happen. How longer, however long it'd take to make, um, both parties know that they have to make that fight uh, simply because the public would demand it and go crazy if it didn't ever get made. So yeah, I agree on that point. Joshua Wilder is is more difficult to make, um, simply because it's hard to quantify how well. Wilder's known, he's just been on a pay-per-view as well, so does that increase his stock? The draw, you know, the controversy, like some people, well, a lot of people saying he lost, so but then technically he's still undefeated, so it, it is, there's so many questions around that, but for, for me if I was managing Wilder, if I was Shelley Finkel, I'd 100% take a fight now, come into a different market uh, UK boxing's booming, so it's a brilliant time to come here it's at Wembley, so it doesn't get any bigger than that in terms of the UK. You're fighting the biggest pay-per-view star in the UK. It's all the belts. In some sense, stylistically, it's a more winnable fight than Tyson Fury, simply because it's just too sort of... I don't want to call Joshua a puncher because he's more than that, but it's two massive punches going at it. So... Yeah, I, I, if I was Wilder, I'd jump into the into the um, Joshua fight, and obviously we've discussed this before. If that does happen, that leaves Fury a bit white out in the open because potentially Joshua and Wilder could have. Well, it would be a two way fight, and it potentially could be a trilogy. Fury doesn't want to just stay inactive like that leaves him in a, in in a sort of a dark place. But um, I still think. That won't happen because from what I'm hearing from from Team Mold and Team Fury, it seems like they're insistent on that rematch. But personally, if I was Wild, I'd go for Joshua. But it's interesting to see what unfolds from that. Anyways, carrying on with the card at the O2, let's just quickly skim through what happened. Tom Little, I feel really sorry for him. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a fair stoppage against David Price. Uh, you could you could clearly see that when you watch it back. Um, I'm sure you you think the same about Oscar. Yeah, it was a poor stoppage. Uh, 
you have to feel sorry for for Tom Little. And although you know, the price has come out since and said, you know, it was a fair stoppage. You know, he was a bit off balance because of where he caught him on the head. That yes, he was off balance, and yeah, it looked like there was potential for Price to take him out there. You've got to give it more time than one because it was one clean shot. You know, he had his gloves up, and you know, in any boxing fight, there's going to be times where someone's on the back foot. Unless it's a complete mismatch, there's going to be times where someone's on the back foot has to hold their gloves up, grit their teeth, and go through a stage like that. So, for it to get waved off at the first sign of anyone getting even remotely hurt because Tom Lip was come out fair place a lot I was hurt maybe not sugarcoat that I was hurt and you could see that but for it to get waved off at the first sign of someone being hurt it's just disappointing and it's disappointing in the fact that Price needs to move on now and so Tom Little probably ain't going to get the rematch either so that's a bit of a crap one for his career not just that one fight for his career really so disappointing what was even more annoying was that when Takam fought, the same referee let three knockdowns happen in that fight. It's just it's like, where's the consistency? It's like the refereeing in, in the Premier League, and I'm sure it happens across other, other divisions as well. It's just like, you just want consistency. If he is going to call a stoppage for, for the price little one, then do the same in the next fight, even though I don't think it was fair. As you say, you need to give, every, you need to give a fight every chance. Um, and he didn't do that with Tom Little. Simple as that. Tom said to me afterwards, if, if he if he he said he was wobbled, but if he said if it was really really badly hurt, where he felt that he was in jeopardy of the ref calling the fight off, he would have taken a knee and sort of gathered his thoughts back and got some energy back and then gone again. But he felt he didn't have to because. It was just wobbled, and that's going to happen in boxing, especially heavyweight boxing. When you're facing David Price, who's one of the biggest punches in the division, you're going to, there's going to be a time where you're, where you're a bit hurt. So I thought that was really poor from the referee. Charlie Edwards, um, let's talk about him winning the WBC against Rosales. Great performance, wasn't it? It was perfect performance from Charlie Edwards. Oh, you know, after seeing Rosales beat Paddy but not Paddy Barnes out I thought I'll be honest going into the fight I thought as much as I love Charlie Edwards style he's a brilliant boxer I did think you know I thought Rosales is the favourite and I thought Rosales is a big chance that he's going to win of course but it was punch perfect he, his range he was getting in sort of ducking in ducking out he was always on the move he never had his feet planted at all I think he knew that it would have been tough to take Rosales out so he didn't really plant his feet and put too much lever behind the shots. He was just ducking and diving, boxing, body head, body head. It was such clean work. And, you know, I was a bit nervous on the scorecards because some of the scorecards that, you know, I got sucked in by the TV a bit because I had Charlie Edwards winning quite clearly. I can't remember what I had, but he was winning quite clearly in my head. And then there were scorecards on TV, people saying Rosales by a round and Edwards by one round. And I was like, really? Like, I thought he was winning this quite convincingly. So, when I heard that one was 118, 110, I thought, oh, this can't be Rosales in England. That's going to be Edwards in it. So I was over the moon for him. You know, that's one of the best British wins of the year. Brilliant performance. And the, yeah, the backstory to it all and some of the footage you posted and that you could see. That was brilliant. That's what boxing is all about. So yeah, brilliant performance from Edwards. Uh, and, you know, we, there's a lot of English and British world champions, but not many WBC. So yeah, it's good to see that as well. I just sorry, just quickly yeah. because afterwards yeah, White Chisora. So just the comparison between the two is 
it's funny because you've watched sort of a ducking and diving performance from Charlie Edwards to a complete slog. So there's two really good fights to watch back to back. But yeah, Edwards, world-class performance. Yeah, not a bad first world title to win either. Um, Ryan Walsh, still British champion. Been saying that for ages. Been like, I think that's his. I think that was his sixth defense. I'm not too sure, but I think that was his sixth defense, which is just ridiculous. Um, it was a decent fight as well against Reese Bellotti. Sort of Reese, Reese didn't really start very well, but then came into it. But yeah, Ryan ended up winning comfortably. Um, I think Reese Bellotti's still got a future in the game, even though he's had two big losses this year. But interesting to see what happens with Ryan Walsh, whether he defends again against Jordan Gill or whether he tries to go for a world title. And just the last one, Joshua Boatze, first round stoppage of Quinlan, which I think they were a bit disappointed with because the whole purpose of putting Quinlan in with Boatze was to give Joshua Boatze some rounds. But uh, yeah, he, he stopped him in one round. Moving on to the, the card in Manchester... Let's start again with the, the main event. What another great fight Josh Warrington was involved in. Obviously, massive underdog with the Lee Selby fight, and it was, a, it was a brilliant fight. Proved everyone wrong. This time against Carl Frampton, wasn't as much of an underdog, but still was. Carl Frampton was the favourite. A lot of people doubted Josh Warrington again. And uh, he proved a lot of people wrong again. Um, impressed by him again, surely, Oscar? Yeah, majorly impressive. I know this is something we're saying for next week, but he's got to be British Fire of the Year. He has to be. I mean, to prove people wrong once must feel good, but to do it again. Because, you know, Frampton is, we say, a better boxer than Josh. A better te- technical boxer. But So, yeah, to prove people wrong against Weiss, brilliant. And what a performance. His work rate is outstanding. I mean, to go from where he was at the start of the year to now people are talking about being the best in the division. You know, and I've seen... Uh, tweets about people saying if he can unify belts he could be looking at pound for pound and this is someone who started the year in no position or in a position where he looked like he'd get a world title shot but where people thought he'd get a world title shot and lose so to end the year with people talking about potential pound for pound is unbelievable great performance he, his work rate is astonishing his punches the sort of he- the way he moves from head to body and sort of the thrust behind the punches because he's not a big uh, knockout puncher. For it. I he's think only, he's only had six knockouts. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say he's just had single figure knockouts, six in what twenty eight fights now. So he's not a big puncher, but you can see there. It seemed like there was more lever behind him than I've ever seen before in a Warrington fight. There was they looked like real hurtful punches. And you know, Frampton, there were points in the fight where he really looked like he didn't know what to do. Like he was going back to his corner, confused. Almost thinking, you know, is there a way to get round this? It is just such a relentless style. And if it's a style that if you can pull off, I can imagine it's so frustrating because Carl would have been there thinking that he could use his boxing skill. But, but just a relentless pressure, it was, yeah. And it, it, he makes it look good as well. Sometimes you get them relentless pressure fighters where it looks ugly. But I think he makes it look good. You can see the clean work. And I think, yeah, I'd say it was a comfortable win, but in the end, it almost looked as if he was just in his element he was loving it he was you know throwing the punches a few shuffles bit of movement and it almost looked like it he was making a fight against Carl Frampton who is one of the best 
British fighters, if, you know, in the top five British fighters, making him look not on his level, which I never, never thought I would say, not at the start of the year. And not, to be fair, I didn't think I'd be saying this a week ago. You know, it's not that I didn't think Josh would win, but I never thought I'd be saying that he made Cole look a level below him. So, really impressed with Josh Warrington and another fighter going on to massive things in 2019. Massive things. Yeah, I agree. He's got to be British fighter of the year. I think many considered Lee Selby to be pound for pound number one uh, UK fighter at the start of the year. So, to go on and beat him and then Carl Frampton, another pound for pound UK fighter. Um, it's just it's just incredible. It's staggering, actually, and in the manner in which he's done it as well. I hope he does go and unify against Oscar Valdez. I think that's a cracking fight. Santa Cruz fight out there as well for him. If he can go and beat both of them, which why wouldn't he now after these two wins? If he can go and do that and then, say, defend, defend his world titles three or four times back in the UK against a UK opposition like to kick Galahad. And you're talking about Josh Warrington being one of the best ever fighters the UK has produced. And, and yeah, as you said, he could make the... Well, I think he would make the pound-for-pound pound list uh, in world boxing if, if he could go and beat Oscar Valdez or Santa Cruz because um, that, re- that record is just ridiculous. You know, Lee Selby, Carl Frampton, and then, say, Santa Cruz or Oscar Valdez out in the States, if he, if he goes and pulls that off then you've got to have him right up there as one of the best in, in, in world boxing and you know people said he couldn't win it he couldn't win a British title then people said he, he's not good enough to, to win a European title it's just mad the sort of rise he's had to the top how quickly he's done it and uh, the, the fashion he he's done it as well in these two fights um, and I've yeah as you mentioned uh, about his work rate I've never seen a fighter have such a good work rate. He's a he's a machine. Like he does, he just doesn't stop. He must be incredibly, must be ridiculously fit, um, because he's just relentless with his work rate. I, I, it's just odd to see, and he, he completely. I think he mentally breaks breaks you down. And what, another thing that's impressed me is when he was fighting at British and European level. Although he was getting the wins, he it never looked amazing. Or, or spectacular, never blew blew you away. But it seems like as he's going up in opposition, he, his game's raising at the same time, which is which is what you want. So he's got a huge twenty nineteen ahead of him, and I think he's going to go to America next. Whether it's Oscar Valdez or Santa Cruz, or, or maybe even Russell Junior, we're yet to find out. But definitely time for him to go to the states, I think. Um, and put himself on the map there. Just on the card, we saw Martin Murray suffer a bad defeat to Hassan and Dam. He's come out and said that's sort of the end for him now. Um, what do you think, Oscar? Do you think you should call it a day? Seeing his interview, I understand. Well, I don't understand where he's gone from because I ain't been in a situation, but you can. I think people can understand and will sympathise with the fact that look, he wants to spend time with his family. Now, he hasn't had the best year because obviously there was the whole fiasco in the Saunders fight. And then you've got this loss here and it is quite a damaging loss, you know, and Dam is, has won world titles before and is a world-level opponent, but 
I think losing and in a close fight as well, it must just be a bit of a killer and to find that motivation to go again. You know, I can imagine it is hard. So I can understand his decision, but it's a shame for the fact that I think there's still good fights out there. I still think the Billy Joe fight would have been a good fight. They'd have been able to hold that off and get that rescheduled and sorted. Whatever. I think that would have been a brilliant fight. So, yeah, obviously that's tough. That's, it's not been the best year for him, but I can, I can see where he's coming from with his decision. No complaints. But it was a close fight against Dan. Some people said he won the fight. So, but yeah, to not get the decision, it must just be quite mentally frustrating and the fact that he has to pick himself up, go again. I can understand he's been in so many big fights and been so close to sort of reaching the pinnacle that I think it was always going to be sort of when he does get a pretty devastating loss. Not the fact that it was devastating in his performance, but in the way that he performed in the fight, I think for him to pick himself up and go again, I can understand why. I can understand the decision completely, but like I said, it's a shame because he's been brilliant for British boxing as well. And you know, many could argue that he should have been a multiple time world champion. So yeah, good career, but it's sad to see it come to an end, but like I said, I understand it. We touched upon Billy Joe there. Obviously he was back on the bill. Um, yeah, been a year now since that Lemieux fight. So, Good to see him back in action again. Another one who's not had a, a very good year. Um, well, hasn't been in the ring and then obviously out the ring hasn't been great for Billy Joe either. But he comes back to winning ways. And I wouldn't mind seeing the Dam fight actually now. That's if, if Murray does retire. Um, I think Billy Joe and Dam is a decent fight. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it. If, if it would go down too well in the UK, simply because Andam's not that known. But where else does Billy Joe really go? He can't. He can't go for basically one of the world champions because with him having no belt, no one's really going to fight him. What does he bring to the table? I guess he's got to wait to become mandatory for Andrade's belt, the belt he used to own the WBO, and I, I assume they will make him mandatory for that. But in the meanwhile. I think in Dam's a decent fight. Do you agree? Yeah, he's, a de- he's not a massive name in the UK, but for people who know, I say more about boxing. The Dam fight's a good fight. When it comes to Billy Joel, obviously, like you said, he hasn't had the best year, but he's one of them fighters who, if he doesn't have anything to bring to the table, like a world title, then you know why would you fight him? Because he's because so, he's dangerous in the fact that he can pick you apart. So it's one of them where if you don't have to fight Billy Joe, you know why would you? It's almost like where people were surprised that Wilder and Fury happened. You know, Fury didn't have a world title, so why would you fight him? Because of how dangerous he is and how stupid he made Wilder look. Billy Joe can do that to 99.9% of boxers in his division. So, yeah, when he does have nothing to bring to the table, it's tough. So he's going to have to wait, like you said, I imagine, for to become mandatory for his old WBO belt. Well, look, at least he's back in the ring. You know, we've had this whole sort of come back once but he had the world title and there was sort of that labelled right I'm back now things are changing my training my mentality my routine is all changing and he produced a spectacular win against Lemieux so I've got no doubt that he can do it again come back and work hard I know he's having a great time yesterday but no when yeah, he, when he knuckles down in the gym <laughs> um, you know I'm sure we'll see him at the top again but it's just 
get in those fights. He might have to have a few fights where people are a bit critical of the opponent. Um, it might could be hard for him to get up for them fights because he's been in you know big fights. So he needs to find the motivation to get them. Maybe have a couple fights that aren't you know the big build fights and yeah work his way into a mandatory position. And I'm sure we'll see him a world champion again. I've got no doubt about that. Well, another fight that's popped into my mind is for Billy Joe is Liam Williams. Let's quickly talk about Liam Williams. Great performance against Mark Efron. Many had this as a 50-50 fight. Obviously, Liam Williams moving up to middleweight for the first time as well, um, knocking Mark Efron out late and winning basically every round up to that point, which surprised me because Mark Efron supremely talented from what I've seen um, and highly rated as well. So... For Liam to do that in his first fight in a new weight was really impressive and um, seems like the move to the Ingle camp is, pay, well, is paying off at the moment. That, that, again, that's the only problem for, for Billy Joe and, and Liam Williams to get, get it on. It would be really awkward because he's it, under the same trainer. I mean, it's happened before, but they're both with BT, both with Frank, which is, which is brilliant, um, which would be easy in making that fight but the only stumbling block is is they're both with Dominic Ingle but I guess that that wouldn't be a bad fight either for Billy Joe No that's a really good fight actually and just on Liam Williams you know Heffron's one of these people who isn't you know the biggest name there's a lot of people who are unsure of you know what Heffron's really about because you know he hasn't been in the biggest fights he's built up a record of 20 wins They've got himself into that position to fight for the vacant British. So people are saying, look, we're going to see what Heffron's about. And he come up against someone who's just above his level and above British level. You know, that William Saunders is a fight that could happen simply because, you know, he's not just coming off a British title where it's debatable whether he's British level or can he make the jump. I think he can make the jump. I think he is good enough to fight above British level. So that would be a good tester for him, you know, get that in the ice arena in Cardiff. That would be a cracking night of boxing. Saunders Williams, so yes, another good fight. The trainer thing is obviously a bit sticky in it with the Ingle Gym, but you no, know, both like I said, both under Frank, so another cracking fight. That there are fights out there for Billy Joe, is essentially what we're saying. There are. Um and their fights are good fights for the fans. That's a really good fight for the fans. But it's just whether he can find the motivation to because they won't be you know, that won't be a world title fight. So so if he can find that motivation, which I hope he can. Yeah, that would be a good fight, to be honest. And as you said, both with Frank, both with BT, so there's no problem there. It's just it's just a trainer thing. It has happened before, as I said earlier, but I don't I realistically, with them both being on the Dominic Ingle, I can't see Dom sort of allowing that to happen. But I, I think... Billy Joe V and Dam, or even Liam Williams V and Dam, they're they're both good fights that we could potentially see. Um, just also to mention Nathan Gorman, Michael Condon, uh, banking wins on that card as well. Guess the only sort of shame of the night was, well, apart from the loss of Martin Murray, was the fact that these shows were on the same night. It was just a pain for everyone. No one really benefits from it in terms of the fighters. Obviously, they lose out um, in terms of pay-per-view numbers. Uh, the promoters lose out. 
fans lose out because they they've got to pick and choose or, or pay for both, and it's it's just a pain, really. It's just a pain in the ass. Um, and the only problem with this is the fact that Matchroom, I think, are putting on sixty shows next year. ITV are involved in boxing back again. Channel Five are still involved. BT are doing huge things in boxing now. I can see it happening a few times next year, and I think it's only going to get worse and worse. And it is a problem. I don't know how we solve it, but it's a problem in boxing, isn't it, at the moment? It is, and you know there are going to be clashes next year. But I don't think there'll be many times where people will clash shows of this size. You know, if you were to have the, let's just say, for example, Warrington and Frampton on BT and Sky Sports just put a regular fight night with a Commonwealth title. So, you know, people would choose Warrington and Frampton. I think the decision was you got the world title fight and I know there's not world title on the line, but you saw why it's a massive fight. So it was either and all between them. I don't think there'll be many situations where you've got two fights of that size going on at the same time, especially in England. You know, you might get a big English fight, a big fight over in the States later on. It's just if there are going to be shows, you'd like to think that they're shows where you haven't got two, you, know, you haven't got two mega shows on at once. Essentially what I'm saying. But, you know, um, I suppose we say the more boxing, the better. And it is. I think we're just going to have to get used to boxing clashes. And I'm sure this won't be the end of it either. I'm sure Matchroom 60 shows next year will probably evolve to 80 the year after. Yeah, BT will be putting on more shows. They, I think they promised more shows than they gave this year. So I think, you know, they're still fairly new in the boxing. With this whole Frank Warren deal, it's still fairly new and young. So I think going into the next year, there will be more shows and, it is going to keep going, so we, you know, we're going to have to get on with it, I suppose. We're my only lot boxing fans because we say we want more shows and we get more shows and then there's the clash, so you can only do so much. I think we'll see a lot of Friday night boxing, potentially, for perhaps smaller uh, domestic shows for British title fights. And you know, We saw midweek boxing. I think there was a show at York Hall that Matchroom done it was like last May. We went to that, it was a good show midweek, and it was a bit something different, so we might be seeing a bit of that for the smaller shows. You know, and you've got small hall shows, a small hall boxing shows growing even bigger now. You know, there's people are talking about that affecting the attendance of small hall shows. So there is a problem in boxing when it comes to viewing and show clashes. But like you said, there is literally no way around it. There is no way around it at all because of the amount of shows that that we've got going on next year. Yeah, I think you sort of hit a key point there in terms of the magnitude of the shows that clashed on Saturday night. There are, it's inevitable, there are going to be clashes next year simply because the, sh- the number of shows are going up. But as long as two big shows on the same night in the same country don't clash, I think it's then, I don't want to say okay, but it is much better that, you know, especially when it's pay per views as well. Because Obviously, it's affecting affecting sort of the livelihoods of the fighters, and and it means the fans have to either choose and, and leave one alone or, or or pay for both. So, as long as sort of there aren't pay per views clashing again, then I'll be happy with that. I'll take that. But okay, um, that is all for this week. Thanks to everyone who tuned in, and thank you to Oscar for your time. Cheers, mate. It's been a good one. Looking forward to the uh, the end of the year, regain the awards. 100%. It should be good. 100%. Yeah, make sure 
to tune into episode seven next week. Well, not next week, actually, this week. Um, as Oscar said, we're going to be doing sort of end of year podcast, just reviewing the year and looking forward to 2019. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Pod, and make sure to follow us on SoundCloud too. Signing out.